welcome back to Play Hype Dialogue, the podcast where we play shows, get hype, and dialogue. Hey, everybody. I'm one of your co-hosts, Carlos, and I'm here with Mela and Omar. Um, And today, before our episode of Cursed and our discussion there, we're going to talk about something that's kind of big in the news right now, which is the casting of Gal Gadot as Cleopatra. So growing up, um, a lot of the sort of classic movies about sort of the ancient world were white actors playing white characters. And so I never really had evidence to the contrary. So I was just like, oh yeah, they were white. But as I began to get sort of more history and knowledge, I didn't delve too deeply into it, but I remember hearing um, stuff about the lineage of um, folks like Cleopatra not being as clear cut and not necessarily fitting in with our current racial categories. So a white woman playing her feels off, Um, but I'm not sure, like I don't have enough of a knowledge set to like jump into the online conversation and be like, this is inappropriate because, because I don't have that, Um, but it's something about it feels, yeah, there's there's something there. My take is this, I think it would have been better if they cast somebody else. I didn't watch Wonder Woman because I wasn't really interested in um, seeing the film. And I I thought they should have, it would have been better if they cast a woman of color in that role as well. Um, So I'm not even familiar with her work. I have two additional takes that um, are a little bit more nuanced. One is that I think in particular, I don't know her politics as a person, but um, Israel is in serious conflict as basically an apartheid state right now. And I think the, the politics around that are important in this case, considering who she's being drafted to play. Um, you know, so that's, that's a little bit more nuanced. Um, and I'm also, here's the bone that I'll throw them at the end, which is I am interested. I would like to see what story they're going to tell about Cleopatra and who she and her family were. I think that previous Hollywood iterations of Cleopatra have mostly been like really adoring of her as a character is my, is my understanding. Um, Like she's, you know, always been held up as kind of like a cool, super smart, super sexy character. Um, And I wonder if they're going to do a take on this story that really frames her and her family more as, outside invaders, that would be interesting. That would shake things up for me. I'm not sure. I don't know the nuances of the story like that, but that that could definitely, um, that's something, there's something to that. Um, but I do want to hear Omar's take on it as well, since you seem to have the most knowledge about this. Yeah. Well, the, out of the three of us, but it's not like I have most. Like, <laughs> the most world. out of the world. <laughs> um, well, actually, so interesting. Um, it seems that in, film, at least U.S. film, Cleopatra is almost, I think, exclusively played by white actresses. However, in TV, it seems like she, they're actually given more to Latina actresses, like in the made-for-TV movie uh, Cleopatra, which came out, I think, in the 90s or early 2000. Um, it was played by a Latina actress, and also Gina Torres has played her in Xena Warrior Princess. And I think in Doctor Who, she was played by an actress of, I forget, I think it was, I forget exactly what, but it was a, um, a black actress. 
So it, it is interesting that the, the blockbusters are the ones with that are always like, yeah, we need a, a white woman to play her. So anyway, let's quick little history lesson. We live closer to Cleopatra's time than she did to the time that the pyramids were built. To give you kind of a, a scope of like how long a history we're talking about of like sort of quote unquote ancient Egypt, right? So the Ptolemies are ruling Egypt. They're known as Macedonians, and uh, Macedon is located within Greece, but there are some scholars who would argue that they didn't necessarily identify as Greek. They identified particularly as Macedonian. So the Ptolemies were, like, obsessed with being Macedonian and Macedonian purity. So a lot of the rulers actually married their full biological sisters. So And it kept, like, this was keep going on and on a lot of inbreeding to kind of maintain that idea of like blood purity. So here's where it gets very interesting and why there's a lot of conflict about Cleopatra. They were very obsessed with the purity. And so all these names were written down. We know who everyone's mother and father was, except we have no idea who Cleopatra's mother was. And so some scholars believe her mother is Cleopatra fifth or the sixth, but then there is really compelling evidence that her mother might have actually been a relative of the priests of um, Memphis who are Egyptian. So some scholars say that her mother might have been an Egyptian woman. The other thing that we don't know is we're not sure who Ptolemy's mother was, her father. There are some sources that actually claim him as illegitimate or a bastard child, right? So out of Cleopatra's four grandparents, we only know one. So in a sense, there is a chance that she's up to three-fourths Egyptian, right? Um, Of course, you know, a lot of scholars would be like, but listen, they were so obsessed with purity that it would be like super, you know, infeasible that, you know, these people would be. But here's the other thing. Yeah, they were obsessed with purity, but we don't know what they were doing, you know, because in the bedroom, really, you know what I mean? Like, they're saying, like, yeah, they were obsessed with purity, but do we know exactly? And her father was already known as being kind of like a rebel, a rebel. So that's where it gets very interesting, because a lot of scholars are saying, no, but she was white. She was like, we don't know. It's all speculation. We have no idea who she was. And that's where it becomes incredibly interesting, you know? But also to say, because then a lot of people think, no, she was white, she was white. We're forgetting that the way we understand race is not a universal, right? First of all, right. these racial categories were not cre- were not in existence back then either. You know what I mean? So, so to for say, fifteen hundred like, years after, right? Yeah. So it it's almost pointless to argue whether or not Cleopatra was white or black or whatever, because they weren't, no one was identifying themselves that way back then. But what we can do is talk about ancestry or, you know, and, but unfortunately for Cleopatra, we really don't know. And I think trying to parse out the nuances and like the like percentages of her, her blood that would have been, uh, you know, different parts of ancestry is really nuanced, especially in that region at that time. Um, And in much of the world, but I mean, we're talking about, 
um, a time period where there's considerable kind of change in rulers and invading armies and uh, mixing of people in a way that's racially not doesn't is not going to translate into our current racial understanding, especially our U.S. centric racial understanding. What it comes down to for me, I think, is basically like we're n- Hollywood's not going to solve the ancestry question about who Cleopatra was, so they had a choice for who they cast to play this role. And what they chose was to cast another white actor to play this role um, when it would have been more compelling to me um, and also, you know, a different uh, political choice to pick someone who was, I mean, Greek, you know, Greek and Egyptian would have been, I think, a a great choice. Um, But casting a person, a woman of color in the role or someone who more visibly represents that region might have been a better choice. Is it, it's, almost, it's also that it was actually Gal who kind of spearheaded this project and she went to the director of Wonder Woman. So it wasn't even like the Hollywood selected. It was like, she was like, hey, I want to do this. And they were like, yeah, let's, so here you go. You'll play Cleopatra. So, it, well, that's know, challenge, it, and that's challenging too, because she's a very wealthy and powerful right person in the industry right now and i will say like i don't think this is the worst casting ever like there's so many times where hollywood is just like blatantly whitewashed a character that we know was more contemporary and was a black character or an asian character or a a latina character and they're just like white (laughs) (laughs) Um, this is a very nuanced you know historical conversation so i can see how they were like this will be okay um, but I just think they could have made a different choice. Yeah. I think, I think um, the, the discussions surrounding Cleopatra has always been incredibly charged because the discussions about ancient Egyptians have always been incredibly charged. What we do know is that she was brilliant. She was the first of the Ptolemies, apparently, um, to learn the Egyptian language. Because this is how they, they didn't even bother to learn it because they were like kind of like so obsessed with like, like Ptolemy's Macedonia were the best, you know. So she was the first to learn, like, she learned, I think, up to eight languages. Wow. She was incredibly talented as a politician. And, you know, that's where she gets, but in a sense, it's people are more interested in her relationship with Julius Caesar and Mark Anthony. So, in a sense, it, it almost like downplays <laughs> really what she was, she was brilliant, you know? Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see if they do say who her mother is, because that would- I'm sure they will not. But it it is interesting because, you know, you have two sides of the debate. Um, And really, we just don't have enough information. Me, of course, I would like to say like, we don't know that she was white, ergo, cast a woman of color <laughs> to play her. But but at the same time, I'm like, let's stop working on Cleopatra. There are so many pharaohs that I think are equally, if not more compelling than her. Mm-hmm. Yes. The thing is, there's like, no, but we want to do the one that we know was like, at least partially of European descent. It's like, well, all right. But I would love to see a movie on Hot Chip Soot. I think yes. she's a fascinating ruler. You know, I, I, I also think stuff that's a- about like Akhenaten and Nefertiti. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, how about the uh, like Khufu and Khansar, the ones who like built the pyramids? So yeah, lots to say about ancient Egyptian roles in Hollywood, but uh, yeah.
But thanks for joining us for this conversation about the upcoming Cleopatra movie that will be coming out soon. Now the main event for today's episode, continue our conversation on Cursed. Sweet. So that said, let's jump into talking about this episode, which is not apolitical. There are a lot of um, reminiscent things happening in the show that are nothing ever is apolitical. (laughs) The personal is political. Let's go. Um, That was actually something I was glad we didn't say a lot of shows are like, Oh, this isn't a political podcast and proceed to say something political, but everything is political. What you choose to, or not to talk about how you frame things. Um, Like the fact that we chose these shows that have these particular themes in them. So there was a lot that happened in this episode. Um, what are the sort of first things that we... Pim is alive! Justice for Pim! Pim, my baby Pim. I'm, I am thrilled. Uh, you don't understand. When she came on the screen, we're, we're all just like speed typing her name into the chat. It was <laughs> made my day. I was so happy to see her. Um... Yeah, I'm just, my favorite character's back. Pim is the light in the darkness that we need. (laughs) Him. All right, so so yeah, that was, that made my whole episode, honestly. That, I was so happy. I thought, like, it was such an amazing character. I did not want her to be killed off. Very happy she's back. I do think that this is a good thing for us to remember going forward, that just because a character appears to have been killed or taken if we don't see them die we cannot be certain they are dead um because we see her carted off and we just assume she's dead the way nimway does because there is no like she's gone and they're not going to keep her alive because why would they um so i really want to know how she survived that's what i'm hoping we get to see yeah and i did i will say i think even as we were watching i think we were we were all kind of expecting her to come back because that's such a convention. Like you don't see the character die. Um, you know, she was introduced as kind of a prominent character and then she gets taken away. So I think we were all holding out hope. I know I was, I was like, surely they didn't just kill off Pim like that off screen. Um, but I, I thought it was a good setup cause they didn't play it gimmicky. Like they were, I don't really feel like they were messing with the audience. You know, I feel like they made it, to the audience kind of like she might have died or she might she might be back but you can very clearly see how the character Nimue is obviously supposed to think that she died because everybody else in her town with the exception yeah. of a few people that got away did squirrel. die <laughs> yeah it's oh, what did you say squirrel yeah i was like squirrel long live <laughs> squirrel it's really bad and i think it just we don't know what happened to her to get her there, but you can tell that she is bruised and battered. Like whatever she yeah, went she through has been rough. Yeah, I like what I like about it is that she barely speak, right? And and she's like she can't even speak. And then what is it like, Smelly Fishman? However they call him, <laughs> they they literally call him that though. But um, anyway, but um, how he brings Pim to his mom, and he's like, hey, this is Pim. And she's going to be living with us now. And she's like, what? No, she's a fae. And she was like, he was like, well, she's, and Pim, mind you, is mute up until this point. And he's like, well, she's going to be my wife. And all of a sudden, Pim's like, I'm sorry, what now? What'd you think? <laughs> like instant comedy gold. 
what a joy to have Pim back on the screen. Like the scenes were instantly hilarious. Every um, scene that she's in it just brings a smile to my face. She is she is by far my favorite character on the show. And she played it so well that it's like clearly trauma, clearly selective mute. It's over. It's over. Uh, excuse me. What now? What? what? <laughs> I am I am not trying to marry Smelly Fishman. <laughs> we didn't discuss this. This was not the arrangement. What are you doing, sir? Bold of you to assume that I'll marry you. <laughs> Which is an interesting sort of segue, because up until this point, she's been, well, she's been gone, but she was sort of cast as the sort of best friend character to the lead, which often in a lot of shows, they don't get their own journey unless it's like a show about friendship. They don't really get their own arc. Um, but it seems like, given the way this episode ends, and we'll come back to that in a bit, that she's going to have her own journey and her own arc, um, maybe towards Nimue, maybe away, but she's not going to be stuck. Um, she is going to get to free herself, which is nice to see. Yeah. It's also funny when she uh, she met that, what was he? That one guy like on the docks when she's cleaning, and then that one guy shows up and she's like, whew, and then <laughs> her husband's like, Hey Pim, and the guy's like, "Is that your husband?" She's like, "I don't, I don't know him. I don't." She pulled a, like a straight up Mariah Carey, like, "I don't know her." As she's playing with her braid, which I loved, because her hands are still bloody with fish guts, but she's like, "No, no, I, I, I don't know. Who are you? Where are you from?" <laughs> yeah, so this is a little later in the episode when we come back to Pim, and it's it's a great scene because uh, she's like cleaning fish guts off the ship yeah. or something right like, off the dock off the dock off the dock off the dock um and this sir handsome <laughs> sir handsome biking comes up uh and she's just like Hubba. <laughs> so, but yeah that was fun so exactly. I, it's, it'll, be interesting, it'll be interesting to see what happens between him and her husband and viking man i also like how her husband calls her minnow and she's like, I hate that. <laughs> she's like, I don't know him, and I, I hate that name. Are they actually married, or is he just, like, intending? Oh, no, no, is no. she just, like, the betrothed? We're just going to call him husband instead of fishmonger? <laughs> yeah, I think I think that, yeah, I feel, I feel like husband sounds a little bit better than stinky fishman. But, um, <laughs> no, they're definitely not married in real life, I don't, I don't think. I think it's just, like, a, you know, just so that, to protect him, in a sense. Yeah. Yeah. But of all the routes, sir. <laughs> yeah, so. I also, I just want to say I appreciate that even though all of these scenes with her doing doing that are comedic, um, she never does something stupid for comedy. Like she'll, she's never like, what? No, I'm not going to marry you. This is crazy. Because you can see, even though it's a funny scene and the whole like little storyline with them is supposed to be comedic, um, as it, you, she still stays in character, which is like she makes the choice not to totally disavow him because she recognizes that her survival, um, mm-hmm. you know, relies on on him taking her in basically. And I appreciate that because it's like it's funny, but it doesn't take me out of the story to be like, okay, well, it's ridiculous that she'd be like, no, no, you know. Yeah. So I enjoyed that she was still like she was making kind of like said what now noises, but it wasn't like I would never wed the. <laughs> she has all the intelligence and wit that I would have liked Nimue to have. 
it's like that meme where the the two friends and it's like these are my brain cells. It's like no, she just has all the brain. <laughs> Pim has all the brain. Yes, and the brawn. To be honest, I feel like I don't know. I, maybe I'm being too harsh on Nimue. I just I, I just want more from her. I think Nimue did a lot in this episode. She did. She's really That's true. moved forward and I think redeemed herself in some ways. Um, so we oh to- yeah, I forgot this was the episode when she went like ham on the on the soldiers in the river. Yes. Let's talk so, about that. We have to talk about that. So she finds the sword. Uh, she listens to the hidden after uh, Dizier and the Fae underground drop her off. Wait, speaking of which, can we speak about the underground? Because yes. I wanted, I loved all those characters and I was so sad to see them all die so fast like i wanted them around for a little bit i knew they were going to die at some point but i i really wanted them around for a while i thought it was such an interesting story um, i think i had hopes that one of them was going to survive but they just well, like, they did technically the snake girl the little girl yeah but i was i was kind of hoping for either um dizzier or his wife yeah her name Same. starts with the c Batildi. i'm kind of Batildi. A little bit uncomfortable with them introducing these really awesome characters of color and then killing them off so quickly. Like it's, yeah, like like that one was that actually was a huge disappointment for me. Like I I really wanted um, Dizier to to live, but yeah, I mean, in a sense, weren't all these fake? Yeah, they're all characters of color. I think, or or portrayed by people of color. I mean, yeah. So that's what I'm. Not sure about if they were Faye. Um, because I rewatched the episode this morning and it's like, oh, Dizier, Dizier is the lead smuggler, uh, he runs all these caravans. They only the weeping monk found one tusk, one Faye amongst all of the others. So I think they sort of are carting people off. So I think most of them, or at least Dizier and his wife, were human, but everyone else that they were rolling with were Faye. Um, but I do think we do need to talk about the racial dynamics of the Faye versus the humans and how there's a very clear, often race difference there. But then also how we get introduced to these characters of color who don't make it past the episode. The Abbess is introduced in episode three and at the beginning of episode four, she's carted off after being beaten and is probably going to be burned at the stake or hung or killed in some way terribly given the way she talked about the red paladins the day before they will fillet your skin for being pregnant out of wedlock imagine what they do for betrayal and letting a demon into the abyss yeah so i mean i think this is um really interesting just we start the episode kind of picking up from at the end of episode three nimway's fleeing from um the convent or whatever you know it's called and um morgana is helping her so we start this episode morgana's like smacking herself in the face with a rock to make it look like nimue um had attacked her right so morgana goes back but i i really enjoyed the introduction of the the kind of the symbols and like the fey resistance Mm-hmm. that we start to see in this episode so that the Fae are leaving kind of signals for each other in the, in the woods. Um, and that there's basically like a Fae underground uh, or a Fae trail and Dizier and Clotilde are kind of smugglers along that helping Fae escape because 
the forest is crawling with red paladins. Um, and I was, I was really disappointed when he was killed at the end of the episode. Um, I was disappointed when they all were, but he, he was a great character. Um, the, and the, the actor was fantastic. I really enjoyed him and he would be, I, you know, I would, he'd be a character I'd, I'd be hoping to see kind of pop up later. Um, but we really see, I mean, there's no ambiguity in this one. Like we see their, their bodies and everything. Um, but I did really enjoy it. Then they're going to Nemos is the goal, right? Um, the name of the kind of like Fae hidden spot safe that every Yeah. Sorry, what? Like the Fae safe house or... Yeah, so I really enjoyed the setup of this whole idea that, okay, the Fae, there is a resistance. They're leaving each other signals. There's, there's man blood people, human people um, helping smuggle the fae and that there's kind of this setup for a new dynamic with that so that was really really interesting no i think that's a really great point one of the things i was hoping to discuss is that they hide amvry and her father in a compartment in the carriage when they get close to the city's gates and they have a check-in which was a really nervous scene the first time we watched it because the weeping monk pulls over a carriage and we're like shit she's caught right they juxtapose those two scenes yeah. we realize the weeping monk is pulling over a different card which is so good kind of because he does kill a different fey and finds out that desire is one of the smugglers leading this underground route leading these character bands from right right the cities yeah the fuck the weeping monk i'm so sick of that character yeah i really cannot wait i really hope that Nimue or Pim or some other cool fae character that we get to know in the subsequent episodes gets to take him out. Like, if it's Arthur or another human, I feel like it won't be as cathartic um, to, like, really take him out. But the reason I wanted to talk about is that she gets to stay in the front seat. They don't hide Nimue in the wall of the carriage because she passes for human. Um, Right. When we get to Nemos at the end of the episode, a lot of the characters don't pass for human. Um, you do hear Father Cardin in episode three and four talk about how people will shave their horns to pass or they'll clip their fingernails or clip their wings and that you have to be really vigilant and pay attention. Um, you bringing something, I didn't even, yeah. She's like, she has human passing privilege in a sense. Yeah, yeah like and they, they mention it a few times. Which I think is interesting that she gets to be the sort of lead because she can't, not that she should have to, but she could and does hide in plain sight in ways that Ambry cannot hide. Ambry's the little girl who's in the carriage whose father um, is killed. Um, We don't get to see her. She can't go and do these things, which is good because I don't want to see a little kid being like a superhero that's not what I'm interested in watching, but I do think that it's an interesting dynamic of who gets to sort of hide in plain sight. And if that's going to be interesting for the way the story unfolds going forward, because um, yeah, we, we do see race, but it doesn't matter in the human world in the same way that species seems to matter, which seems sort of allegorical for race um, because no one makes Arthur's blackness into a thing the way they make Nimue's fae identity race right, into right. a thing. 
And like the red paladins are all different. You see, like you see a bunch of different. The main ones happen to be white, from what I remember. But um, I've definitely seen some red paladins of color, which I'm immediately like traitor. <laughs> but yeah, the allegory, the racial allegory, is definitely there. And we start to see. That's what I was trying to say. Like we start to see the different types of fae. So they mention that the weeping monk. The, the fae that he murdered was a tusk um, to, to the ones with horns. And then we see, um, sorry, what's the, the father and daughter? What are their names again? They're like, that snake, are, they're like snake something. Snake clan. Snake yeah, clan. Snake. Um, and then they, Dizier says to Nimue in passing, like, oh, sky folk, right? That she's Which sky folk. And she said, yeah, how'd you know? And, and he's like, oh, well, we've, we've, because they've been smuggling different phases that we've been, we're becoming experts in the different groups. Um, so that, that was, that's, um, is anyone else a little bit confused as to why the sky folk don't have wings? <laughs> like I've seen, like they have fade with wings and I'm like, why are they not the sky folk? Yeah. I'm not sure if that's a Arthurian mythology thing or what, um, hopefully it becomes relevant. Why? I don't know. It's not clear. Um, what that rationale is. Yeah. I get the sense that they're portraying um, that it varies not just by kind of the three or four main groups of Fae, but varies from like one group to the next as well in terms of what people, how people look. Um, because remember way back in the first first episode, um, Father Cardin has that one young boy and he puts like a leaf on his skin and the the boy had been human passing, but when he touches him with the leaf, his hand starts to turn green. So I don't know what that is, you know, in comparison. So I think that there's supposed to be like quite a bit of um, difference and diversity, I guess, within the different groups. Um, but it is it's a good question, Mark. Yeah. Like what makes her sky folk? We don't know. Yeah. But I'm excited to see the different kind of fate. And, and hopefully in the next episode, we can see a little bit more of that. Because now that they're in this um, fae village of sorts, yeah, they made it to Nemos, which has become sort of a safe haven. I don't know how long it's going to be a safe haven because the weeping monk sees the signs by the road. So one of the symbols on the Fey underground, they have the ancient Fey language, which is a bunch of spirals and other symbols guiding the way. So Nimue is not perhaps fluent, but she knows enough of the symbols to when she meets up with Arthur, they have a, a whole interaction and they find Amvri, they go west. I think it's follow west is the sign. Um, and so they go and they end the episode in Nemos and they are home. And you see a wall of levels of different types of fae, people with horns, with wings, there are folks flying. There's right. So we do we do start to see kind of how broadly uh, different fae look in this episode. That's right, because we, we make it to Nemos. Mm-hmm. But the monk has some hint of the language. So he's like somewhere between here and the Minotaur. And so they are coming for the Fae. And even though Nimue, the last episode, destroyed the maps that they had of the sort of Fae enclaves, it does cause concern that they're not going to be ready to face the full force of the Paladins if they decide to swarm all at once. So we are not sure what's going to happen next year. 
Yeah. And, but, and like I said, nonetheless, I really like this setup of kind of the resistance and everything. And that brings us to, we do check in with a couple of the other characters um, in this episode. Is it correct to say that when they get to Nemos, Morgana is there? No, no. she's, no. she just leaves the Abbey right before they get there. Right. So um, one of the, things that's important is that all of the characters seem to be the characters we like the resistance seem to be on road to be together so we see um after an interaction with uh sister iris morgana packs her stuff and leaves she has a bunch of maps she has a bunch of papers she grabs it and goes because iris blames her she's like i love Dewey green and you let the devil or the demon into the house you let the monster in and so she's like lord understand you because i don't but she can sense that there's something there so she packs her stuff and leaves to in theory join the resistance that's, to follow that's the best like line by the way well the lord understands you but i don't so <laughs> goodbye <laughs> no I there's a couple that. good lines that i want to talk about too yeah but also speak for yourself because not all of our favorites are because I can't I am really do not enjoy this Arthur <laughs> like I'm not a fan of him. I don't okay, know. Okay, but he was better in this episode than the previous episode. Kind of because like when Nimue came at him and was like pretty much ready to attack, he's like, I don't know. I just didn't like. He's like, I lost your sword, but whatever, let's go. And she's like, Um, sir, you have no idea what's up with this sword. Right. Which that's true. Like, that's I true. Like, I forgot about that. Yeah, I was like, Sir. She's like, All right, let's go. She's like, like She's like, I will like, burn well, to see you together. hang. What? She says, I will burn to see you hang. She's pissed. That's one of my favorite lines this episode. Because here's the thing: How would you react if you had this ridiculously important relic? Someone steals it, loses it, and they just be like, well, listen, it's gone, so let's just go. I'd be like, oh, excuse, what? The audacity. That's the audacity of Arthur. I'm going to stick with that, man. Yeah, I'm hoping now that he's there and sees, because it kind of rubbed me the wrong way. They're like, Arthur asks Nimue when they get to Nemos, where are we? And she says, we're home. I'm like, Excuse me, why does he get to be home here when oh, <laughs> Speaking of which, another thing that pissed me off. So like can we talk about the fight scene between Nimue and the Red Paladins, which was second to Pim's reappearance for me? Yes. Yeah, so that and that takes place after she finds the bodies of Dizier and Clitzel. Yeah. yeah, so, so she listens clearly, to the hidden, gets to the sword. Yeah. And then she goes off. On these red paladins in the river, starts attacking. The actress is clearly not the best martial artist, but you know what? We're cool. Um, goes crazy, kills all these people. Uh, I mean, all these red paladins. And then the final one, Arthur just steps in because apparently she can kill like 20, but the 21st, she's like, oh, hold on, I'm tired now. So then they have it so that Arthur steps in and saves her. And he's throwing it in her face. He's like, um, I saved you. And I wanted to be like, sir, she just demolished all these red paladins. You come in at the end when she's like experiencing some fatigue. And you have and you want to say, like, oh, I saved you, girl. I mean, technically, yes, but also you would have died if all these red paladins caught you before. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, I, I also don't like how they basically had her just pat like, you know. 
she, she, how is it that she's able to kill all these people? And then the final one, she's like, mm, just kidding. I'm tired now. Yeah. Like, that was so that they can have Arthur be the hero. Anyway. Yeah. I mean, I get why narratively so that there is some reason to have Arthur go with her probably could have been done differently. Um, but I think it worked because I know some people will be like, oh, she couldn't possibly defeat all of them because then she's like a Mary Sue. She's like too perfect of a fighter, obviously, in world, not <laughs> as a character. <laughs> like, she's too perfect of a fighter, so we need something. Um, it just, yeah, it's it's rough. Yeah, I agree, though. I, I thought it worked narratively um, because, yeah, it gave him, it's like, why are you even here <laughs> otherwise? Um <laughs> And I, I, I like what you said, Carlos, that it makes her, it shows us that she's not invincible when she has the sword. Um, but I was really aware, Omar, of that dynamic. I'm like, damn, she just took everybody out. It's, it was a super, um, you know, cathartic scene almost. And then it's like at the last minute, she's like getting drowned and Arthur's like, here I come. What I loved about this scene real quick that we didn't mention is how it starts when she mm. comes up from the water. That's oh, popping. Yeah. That so it, it's very Lady of the Lake. Um, and I appreciated it. I was like, okay, that was dope. That was a good choice. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. on my running list of favorite moments from this episode. So when we get to the end, I'm like, oh, I got to pick. But it's, it's a contender. No, no. Because I remember when she's like, because she sees all the bodies and she's like, Oh, it's and I remember when she's like, it's about to go down, and then she sees the red paladins in the river. Her face starts, you know, getting that leaf growth or whatever. Where we're just like, oh, the laughter. Like she's fine. She's like, I got the sword. We're gonna go. Then she hears them laughing, and that's the trigger. That lights the match. She's like, you just murdered all these people in cold blood, and now you're kikiing over there in the river. Oh no 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 no. They're what in the river? Kikiing, laughing, carrying Kiki. on. This is a word? <laughs> it is um, in some communities, yes. <laughs> ruling everybody today. Go learn today. <laughs> um, so one of the other big moments that um, I think we need to talk about um, from the show that we haven't gotten to, um, two sort of big moments uh, we can decide which one we want to tackle first is Sister Iris and her arc this episode and where it ends for her at the end or the Merlin and Lord Rugen um, series of scenes. We can go in that order. Okay. Well, I was going to say let's talk Merlin and end with Iris. Okay, that's cool. <laughs> so Merlin at the end of episode three gets carried off by the afflicted, they're called. Basically, they're zombies and they work for Lord Rugen. They are his um, connections to the outside world, it seems. Um, they carry Merlin in. Merlin is there because he intends to rob this man <laughs> because he is a collector and he is the only one in possession with the last remaining bit of Fae fire, which is the fire that forged the sort of power that he wants to have so he can destroy the sword to stop a war from coming again because people are going to fight when they know the sword will decide the king. Destroy the ring. I was just going to say, <laughs> the ring was forged in the fires of Mount Doom. <laughs> <laughs> and it has to be returned there to be destroyed. Like, 
I mean, as long as you just bring your own mask, you can just take some and go. Like, it was like, he didn't even take all the fire. I was kind of like, Merlin, you could have made a, your life a little bit easier and just been like, can I get a little bit of that flame? Just a little bit. Yeah, I he, honestly thought he was going to kick old boy's uh, coat into the fire because it's very close to the edge when he's putting the necklace on his corpse bride. And I'm like, is Merlin going to set him on fire? Because that would be such an easy fix. Like, take the fire and mosey out. But he's like, no, no, no. I have a long game. I'm slippery. I am serpent-like. I'm going to get this guy drunk. We're going to have fun. I'm going to fall into him. Be like, you're drunk, Merlin. And you're more fit than I expected. And uses that to rob him of his keys. I'm like, that was amazing. Because in a lot of action movies, it'll be the woman who sort of saunters up to the man and seduces him for the keys. Here, Merlin takes a different approach to do the same thing. He's like, nice. <laughs> I'm so drunk. Oh my God, I'm so I remember, wasted. <laughs> and I remember when I saw him that drunk, I was like, Merlin, you had one task and you're just going to get sloppy. And then when I see him like, not nah, actually, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Which in had one job more to me. Like, he's probably... Like, of the main three, uh, Arthur, Nimue, and Merlin, I think Merlin might be my favorite of the three. Oh, he's definitely... What are you talking about? How is it a competition? (laughs) How are you you like, "Mm, Arthur or Merlin? (laughs) No, it would be Nimue or Merlin. Because Arthur, I'm like, boy, you need some growth and development. I'm not ready for you yet. Arthur's basically like... Like the like the embodiment of like mansplaining. <laughs> like oh my god! He's like, I'll give you this much gold for it. <laughs> it's the embodiment of mansplaining. He is though. Yeah, Omar, that was hilarious. That was great. That's the clip that we post on Instagram. <laughs> so quote. But um, no, but yeah, my my. It was an interesting scene, and then and then he had his like hench creature kind of attack mm-hmm. Merlin and, and he escaped and I look let me tell you any episode where the widow makes an appearance or of some sorts I'm thrilled by like I, I really want to learn more about that character he's like widow where's your horse and all of a sudden a horse just comes out of nowhere I'm just like oh I like that she's a woman so one of the things that's really interesting is like yes Nimue is the main character she's a protagonist she is the sort of hero of the story she wields the sort of power but Merlin sort of is a big mover. Arthur's a big mover. A lot of the other key figures, Father Cardin, um, the king, a lot of the other folks in the world who are kind of heavy hitters are men. And then there's the widow. So I really hope she plays in more as the show goes on. Like, I would love for her to be more involved. I'm not sure what that looks like because I don't know where the show is going, but I'm very much excited to see how she fits more in. Um, it's interesting because the because like that title, the widow. I think is just a powerful because I've seen it before and I'm because I'm a I watched um ah, what's it called Into the Badlands and there's a character there called the widow and she's like super strong woman and, and but basically defined by her marriage and then death of her husband, which is, I mean, it's interesting because it's like, she's defined by that name wise, but like her actions are just like 
have nothing to do with being a widow. It's just like the title that I guess she's earned. So it's unless but it, she killed her husband. Well, into the Badlands, apparently she does. So I'm very curious to see the story as to why the widow in this one mm-hmm. earned that title. But I also enjoyed the interaction between the widow and Merlin. Yeah, for um, sure. it's just it's just compelling. It's like a way better interaction than Nimue and Arthur. Yeah. I don't know if they want them to be together until Guinevere shows up and becomes his partner. But I'm not really feeling the... uh, Like, they're clearly not into each other. I hope they're not. I hope they don't like... Well, no, they're... What are you talking about? Like, they look at each other in the first episode and they're like, boing, like when they I mean, see. Maybe then. I don't think now. Apparently, Nimue was like fascinated by his appalling Great singing. singing. <laughs> <laughs> like, I remember like listening to it and I was like, are we just supposed to? Like, like pretend like this guy's a good singer, and then Nimue's like, it wasn't that great. I was like, all right, but um, no, I hope they don't put them together. That'd be some like young adult bullshit if they put the Lady of the Lake and Arthur. I mean, was that in the original legend? I don't think so. No. I have to. I'll have to like do some he research. He goes on the quest. He gets the sword. And I think then... she's a pretty minor character in the original. Yeah, yeah. she's just the conduit for like putting them together would be a little bit. I don't know. It's a YA cliche. I could see them doing it, but it doesn't feel authentic or realistic. Given not at all. I hope they right put now. them together. Actually, like I kind of hope Nimue's like, listen, I'd rather just live in a lake for the rest of my life. <laughs> like uh, Nimue, will you marry me? Ooh, gotta go. <laughs> Dive right? into the water. As she like Places to be. Into the water. Oh man. Um, so. That's not a great transition, but in the first episode, she says, this is a story about water and fire. Which should I start with? She is very water in this episode. She emerges, which is such a great scene, like you said, Mela. The flip of that is that we have Sister Iris, who is praying super intently after Father Carden denies her. Like, help me. Like, show me the way. Like, let me know if what I'm doing is right. Like, guide me do help 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 she destroys stuff in the sanctuary and finds the cross that nimue threw in the garbage when she was in morgana it was morgana who threw it out yeah yeah and i know that because i was annoyed it was the at the end of episode three before morgana please she goes to into pray and then she takes off her cross and like throws it in that canister and i'm like don't leave that there. <laughs> oh, I, I was like, man, that's going to come back. And then it, and does. it does. And that's the trigger. And so the next thing we see, the Abbey is on fire and Iris, emer- that I do not like her. She is terrible. But that shot of her with the Abbey on fire in the background over the screams and her face as she puts the red cloth over her nun's outfit Oh, one of the contenders for my favorite parts of the episode. I hate it. It is awful, but it looks so awesome. Oh, That's the ending no. shot of the episode, right? Yeah. No, Nemos. They go to oh, Nemos. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But that could have been the end, and that would have been a great ending. That's where I thought it ended. I'm like, oh, no, there's more episode? Yeah, because they go to Nemos. Oh, like, every time that girl comes on the screen, it's just like this 
exasperated, like again with this one. Yep. And so yeah, that- she is terrible. <laughs> and in but as Carlos said, like it's so it's done so well. She, yeah. and, and Omar, you said too, like she's just like she comes on and you're just like you just want like tear, tear this little little girl up. Like she's friggin' hard. Because you don't know what scene to do was with her. Because with the red paladins, you're like, oh, I want to punch him in the face. But like with with Iris, you're like, I want to punch. Oh, I can't. She's a little girl. Like no, I, you know I, I want to punch her in the face. <laughs> <laughs> She's not that but, little. It's, but it's so yeah. weird because you don't know what to. Yeah, that's the other thing. I, I have no idea how old she's supposed to be. But right. Anyway. Yeah, because she didn't look that young to me. But they keep calling her a little girl, so I guess. Right. But she, but that character. That's the thing. It's like you know you got like you know with the the main red paladin like angry Santa Claus. It's like, you know, you almost like you hate his face. Yes. But like Iris comes on and you like you hate her face, but you're also like, what is this little girl? Like, what is going on? Where did all this hatred come from? And this little like that's why I feel like her character is a lot more intriguing. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, I think this scene that you mentioned, Carlos, kind of cements that she's really uh, you know, a decisively evil character right because before it was sort of like is she like misguided is she just going to be like kind of a pebble in your shoe Mm -hmm. and then it's like she lit the whole place on fire after morgana and celia had a conversation it's like she's dangerous and celia's like she's a child she's misguided she needs guidance and faith and then later in the episode the next time we're at the abbey it is burning, which brings me to one of the other things I wanted to talk about from this scene is the barrier gaze trope, which is something in media where you introduce a gay character and then kill them off, where none of the gay characters, because there's usually only one, um, doesn't get a happy ending. We didn't see it. So again, is it going to be like Pim where she survives and comes back later? But I'm going to be very upset if Sister Celia, Morgana's girlfriend, died in the fire because she decided to stay because the Abbey was her home. And then it's set ablaze by Sister Iris, who she just defended as being young and in need of guidance. I really hope that's not the case because I don't know. I just, I really hope, I, why didn't Celia leave? She could find a new home. She could be like- That was something that I remember being super um, confused by because in a sense she's like, this is our home, but it's a home in which you have to hide yourselves and hide your relationship and hide who you love and why you love them. So I remember being like, why is this a home for you? But I think that that might also speak to, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I feel like that might be something that a lot of viewers might identify with, like in a sense, like it's the only home you know, but it's not even a home where you can be yourself maybe. Yeah, and it's easy to watch people, other people read read about other people or, or watch other people on the screen, whether in fantasy or real life, and say like, oh, well, why don't you just flee? Why don't you just leave? Um, and I think, um, you know, people are are attached to their homes in, in many ways. And it's like, why do we not just leave the country right now? Um, right. You know, it's like things are not going well. Um, and I feel like we're facing in a serious way the question of, well, how bad can things get here in the United States? Like if we have a, a literal fascist takeover, like will we flee or will you stay? 
you know? Yeah. Um, and so I think it's just something I think about a lot because I think I've always, you always read stories of struggle or think about people's experiences with struggle um, and think about that question of like, oh, we'll just like get out of there. Um, and I guess it's easier said than done. And to keep yeah. it in the queer context for a minute, just coming out is hard today still, even though we have had a lot of, uh, there's a lot more LGBT representation on television and in the media, a lot of celebrities, but you still can't really be an out athlete in a lot of sports. You can't be um, an out actor of a certain type in Hollywood. There's still a lot of places you can't really be out. So in a certain sense, it makes some sense for her to stay in the closet where she knows she's going to get meals. She's going to be taken care of in a particular way. Um, and I think also not everyone is ready to be in the revolution. Um, Morgana's clearly Word. there. She's been organizing this from jump. I don't know if Silly's there because she erased their um, initials. Morgana says in this scene when she's leaving, uh, didn't I carve our name in the, the stones down here? And she's like, yeah, I erased it because you wrote it in Old Faye and I didn't want anyone to find out about us. And so it makes sense. It just, you hate to see it, especially with what we have. So I watched the episode several times, knowing what comes later, it just hurts so much more because the one reason she stayed is gone now. She doesn't have the home that she oh, wow, I'm getting a little emotional <laughs> about this. Um, the one home that she was hoping to stay with is destroyed, maybe with her along with it, and the other home that she had is gone, and she probably does not have the skills to find her herself, um, which adds a whole other leg to her journey that might not make it as easy for her to travel as it would be for Arthur to sort of find his way solo. Um, it's... So we have to wait and see. We don't know. But that just really, my feelers went up for that. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, I mean to get all heavy. <laughs> no, no, it's good. It's good. Um, should we do, should we start the wrap up now? Yeah, it seems like a good place. I feel like that was a pretty powerful ending. <laughs> yeah. So... That was a bit heavy, um, but why don't we switch to something a bit lighter and talk about our favorite or least favorite moment and our final thoughts on this episode. Um, Mello, you want to start? Sure. I, I don't really have one at the top of my head. We didn't talk about the one scene where Arthur is um, like taunting the guy that has him locked up. Um, and then he gets away. That was that was kind of fun, although it was a, a little corny for me. It was like, all right, relax, guy. Um, but it was cool. It was cool. He was like, he told the whole story, and then he broke away. Um, so that was fun. I think it's got to be Nimue coming out of the lake um, and or the, the arrival at Nemos is really nice um, because it is – this is a, – it's a, a full-hour episode. There's a lot that happens in this one, right? I feel like there was a lot of compelling moments mm -hmm. and it brought me some joy that they ended after that fire scene, which was really harsh, that they ended with them arriving at Nemos and you see for just a moment, this kind of fake community with everybody, um, you know, fake kind of refugee community with everybody 
flying around and sitting around with each other. And um, so I felt like that was a hopeful note to end on and also one that begins to deepen the fabric of our understanding of the Fae. Yeah. How about you, Omar? Pim. I'm sorry. I know. It was Justice for Pim. It, it honestly brought me the most joy. It's like seeing her on stage, on stage, I mean, seeing her on the screen. Um, so every scene with her, it was just like the, the comic, especially needed in a very heavy episode. We need Pim. Um, so yeah, I was really, I also really like seeing the most because I love like seeing like the different creatures and being like, ooh, what, you know, I want to learn more. Hopefully in the next episode, we get to learn a little bit more about the different types of fae. Least favorite? There were quite a few. I was, I mean, I don't know. Seeing that Abby Byrne was just like a real, like, not going to, wait, was a real punch in the gut, sort of. Yeah. I'm like, what's the first? Um, so yeah, I. Uh, but it was a good episode overall. It was one of my favorite episodes. Of, I mean, granted, it's only episode four, but still. No, that works. That works. Um, and Pim seems to get a happy end in this episode. She escapes uh, her fishmonger husband and goes to the Vikings' boat at the end. Wait, she does. Yeah, she leaves the uh, house and walks towards the boat at the end of the dock. I totally forgot that. Because it's, it's, I think it's between Nemos and the fire of the Abbey. So it is like not as interesting as a scene. Because um, it's her big scene is she's alive. Um, but this one's kind of in the middle of these other two very powerful scenes. Um, so it's understandable that you... Oh, shoot. So justice for Pim. Hopefully she gets it going forward. Um, for me, uh, favorite moments. Oh, it's so hard. Um, I hate her. She's awful. I am intrigued somewhat to see where they take Sister Iris's journey. If she were to take out Father Cardin and then become the bad guy, I would kind of like that because he needs to get his. But I also don't want it to be one of those things where it's only a girl can fight a girl, like, in terms of the big bad. Like, she can go to toe-to-toe with Father Carton. She doesn't need to have Iris as sort of the new figurehead to only immediately be taken out. So it'll be interesting to see. But that scene of her after the Abbey's burning, I hate it. It is a gut punch, especially after we lost the Abbess. But it's such a beautiful shot and setting up her character, she's full bad now. And the color scheme from her blue um, nun robe to the red hood over her, so beautiful. That is probably tied for first, I know I'm terrible, with (laughs) Nimue coming out of the water because that shot, like he's looking and it's like, what is he looking at? Is there some like priest down there about to like, do something inappropriate no it's nimway coming out to slaughter him comes out with the sword right through the head so beautiful cuts the other one's neck that fight scene was amazing um those are probably my top two or tied for first second is pim is back 
and maybe has a love interest who's a cute Viking boy who is possibly going to take her on a very nice journey. Excited to see what happens with her next. All right, so that's our episode. Thank you for tuning in. Next week, we will be talking about Cursed Episode 5. If you haven't already watched it on Netflix, please do so that you can join us in our discussion. You can follow our show on Instagram at play.hype.dialogue. See you next week. See you next week. Bye. (laughs)